Well, please, um, look at Genesis 27. Here we are actually transitioning to the end of a story of the man named Isaac. We've looked intently through the man named Abraham. And Isaac in Genesis is a small transitional figure. There's only one or two chapters for him. We'll look at him now today and then pick up um, Jacob much later. But here is Isaac's life. He's not known for much. But he does have a son named Jacob. And a good portion of the story continues with him. In this chapter we find Isaac in his being visited by God. This is the only significant real visitation from God that he will have. It says this. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech the king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but dwell in the land in which I tell you. Sojourn in the land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens, and give to you, give to your offspring all of these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And here's a phrase. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, and he kept my charge, and my commandments, and my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. You're like, wow, really? You're going to do that? And he did. She is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking... Lest the men this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she's an attractive woman, attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have been brought, uh, you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Remind, remind you, the first verse said that there was a famine in the land. In the same year he reaped a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines stopped up and filled with earth all the wells that his, father, his father's uh, servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Envied him, destroyed his previous properties, and distanced from him. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of the water that had been uh, dug in the days of Abraham, his father, when the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. 
and he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of that well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called the name Sitna, and he moved from there and dug another well. And uh, they did not quarrel over it. So he called that name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went to Beersheba. So he made three wells, then he moves to this place called Beersheba, which means well. Beer means well, and Sheba is um, oath, or seven, well of the oath. For there he went to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him. It's the time God appeared to Isaac. God appeared to Abraham multiple times. God will appear to Jacob multiple times. This is it for Isaac. This is his moment. God appeared to him at night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you to bless you and multiply your offspring for my servants, Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there and called upon in the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. And Abimelech went um, to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Fickle, his commander of the army. And Isaac said to him, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us. Let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug and said, We have found water. He called it Shibna, therefore the name of this day is called Beersheba. So there are three wells that he dug. And then that last one, a fourth one, in Beersheba. And in the middle of him trying to make an agreement with the king in the land, while in the middle of making that agreement, his servants come to him and say, we have found water again the fourth time. Abraham made four altars in his life. In four unique moments, he didn't dig deep for wells of water, but he did stack rocks to worship God into the heavens. And because of his faithful worship of Yahweh, that very next generation with Isaac has four wells that are continuing to progress that blessing in the real land that was promised to him. Previous generations of faithfulness toward God produced long-term effects that reach into multiple generations down the road. And so Isaac will establish those four more wells after Abraham's four altars. And then Jacob will have multiple sons. And everywhere that those altars were built, they will succeed in taking the land later 
with Joshua. It's all related. These promises are as just relatable to you and I as they were to one generation removed with Isaac. His faithfulness, we stand on the shoulders of. Your parents' faithfulness, if they knew the Lord, you stand on the shoulders of. This Western culture that we enjoy, with the civil liberties that we have, we're not simply cooked up in the Enlightenment with the writing of the Constitution. They stand on the shoulders of a Western culture. And when you flip over to the book of Acts, where was all the missionary work? They never made it to India. They did, but there's no story about it. There's no great success. All of the book of Acts is missionary work of building altars throughout the Western world. We stand on these shoulders. Now, this is about spring cleaning. And there's really nothing in here about confessing sin. And that's exactly the reason we would start here. There's a big danger, and I wouldn't want to do this in a sermon series, is to, over the danger of emphasizing a certain thing in a sermon series, is that you become very myopic and actually become unbalanced. And so I would want to disabuse all of us from having any inflated sense of the need for us to confess all of our sins to the Lord. Even though we should be confessing all of our sins to the Lord. See, spring cleaning is that one time a year where the drapes are dusty and the garage is crowded and the hallway smells musty and you go for a deep clean throughout the whole house. You get things sorted out after winter and you put stuff out in the yard and you get your house ready for the season. You take a time to look at all the parts of your house. And the purpose of confession, the reality of that for us is that we should have a spiritual version of this for us in which we evaluate the compartments of our life. And that we clean them up. And clean them up regularly. Because life is messy. Now there are really big sins, of course, that we can say, well, that was a thing that I did and I remember that for years and that was so wrong of me and it plays on your mind or your conscience. But the reality is most of our life is just messy. It's stuff like this, this story, where it's just people trying to find water, people trying to build wells, and lying to each other, and being short with each other, and trying to ostracize or envy one another privately or passive-aggressively. That's just human existence. That's the normal life in any home. That's the kind of garbage that just accumulates in the corner of the room, and you never even notice it's there. Until after a while, it's so piled up that you're on a reality show for hoarders. And you realize, oh my gosh, I got a problem. <laughs> um, but see, that's, that's obvious to us. When you walk into a hoarder's home, you're like, wow, I haven't seen the floor yet. Now, how much of us would see our souls that way? How much of our stuff have we not just cleaned out? If our heart had chambers, if it was, as it is, the temple, the house of the Lord, what's in, what's in that junk drawer? Maybe we're good enough, we only have a junk drawer. Maybe the living room's just a mess. Maybe the whole house is torn up. Maybe you can't park the car in the garage. There has to be confession. We have to get that out. We have to cleanse ourselves from it. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And here it is, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is, if we confess our sins, what follows is God cleansing us of those sins, removing them out of our house, reorganizing our life. And you have to do it regularly. Anyone who's living normally, just functioning in everyday life, is accumulating this all the time. The beauty of this story is that it's just so whatever. You know, you lied to this guy and he doesn't like you and he envies you. And Isaac can't get along with Abimelech. But the whole point of it is that that's exactly our life. That's a normal day. And this produces sins that just accumulate upon our life and our relationships and they burden it down. The real cleansing of sin comes from confession. For our spiritual enemy is always looking to destroy us, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. All he has to do is get you to feel guilty long enough, to feel hypocritical long enough, to take away your zeal for the Lord, to break down some of your fellowship with him so that you become lukewarm, dejected, and just blah. And that comes because of just hoarding all of this garbage in our life. Having it in the back of our hard drive. Not on the front desktop of what we think about every day, but in the back of your mind is just feeling a little distant from the Lord. Feeling a little off about how you worded that last thing. Knowing about some white lie that you really shouldn't have said because it was only a lie for your self-preservation. Knowing about that ugly word or the miscommunication or the way you said something with a joyless or bitter type of murmuring. Right? That's not some great sin that just is in the front of your mind. But those kind of things fill into the corners of your heart. And before you know it, you have clutter. So much clutter that you need a spring cleaning. The warning of all this, though, is that we don't trust in the reality of thinking that our confession is actually what saves us. That we think, well, I didn't confess all of this. Because the, the trick is, it can turn into a disabused um, I want to disabuse you of any feeling that this depends entirely on us. Because there is an introspection, an erotic introspection, in which you can start to look for all of your sins so incessantly, so consistently, that it actually works against you. That it actually makes you become like that person who thinks their hands are dirty and cleans their hands, and then cleans their hands, and keeps cleaning their hands, and where they clean their hands raw. That, there's a spiritual version of that in which you can be looking for your sins and looking for your sins and always wanting to confess your sins and always wanting to get clean and make it right with God that you actually become spiritually bankrupt, that you know nothing of the glory of God in the gospel. And so the point of starting a sermon series on confession is the very first sermon will be, you don't need to confess. <laughs> there's nothing in that about this chapter. That's why we're starting here. Look at this. The problem of unconfessed sin is this. If we confess our sins, it says in 1 John 1, 9, we're faithful, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now what if we do not confess our sins? That is those small sins, those little lies that are in the back of your head. What about those learned sins? Sins that you have from your father or your family or your friends. Things that you learned growing up. 
Maybe you grew up in a, you were first discipled in Christ in such a way that coming to a public worship service was something you did on Christmas and Easter. And then you grow in your knowledge of Scripture and you're like, no, no, the Lord is to be worshipped regularly. To be given all honor and glory regularly. Well, then you finally recorrected. But you were brought in sins of ignorance, Acts 17 says. Paul says when he comes to the Greeks, he says, sins of ignorance God is willing to overlook. You learned something bad from your father. Okay, well now you know what's better. Here is Isaac doing the same thing that his father did. Lying about his wife being his sister and putting her at risk and open danger and also putting the people in the community at risk of falling into great and evil sin. And here is Isaac learning the sins of his father. And how about repetitive sins in our lives? What if you don't confess all of those? The ones where you do it again and again. Your speech patterns, your thinking patterns, your behavior patterns. You know them well. And if you don't know them that well, other people point them out to you regularly. And you see them because they point them to you. And you think, how could God ever forgive me? How could God ever be gracious to me again if I have to be confessing this again? And what about all the times I forget to confess or I'm not aware of the sin to bring it to the Lord, to be cleansed of it all? Think about the repetition. In Genesis 12, Isaac said that his wife was his sister and opened his wife to being in a place of danger. In Genesis 20, Abraham said that his wife was his sister and opened his wife to being in a place of danger and dishonor. And now, in Genesis 26, his son Isaac said his wife is his sister and opened her to a place of danger and dishonor. Do you think God did it this way on purpose? Do you think there's a reason why this is so repetitive in the story? Do you think that God sees all our repetitive sins and understands that the story written about us could sound like a broken record. Here is the beautiful pattern. There was a blessing. God promised the blessing. The whole thing we just read, Genesis 26, goes this way. God promises the blessing to Isaac. Isaac sins. God blesses Isaac. Just let that sink in. Like, let that wash over you. God promises blessings to Isaac. Isaac immediately goes and sins. And immediately after sinning, God blesses him. That is amazing. I need to say that again. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to do it. I'm going to say it again. God promised Isaac that he would be blessed. Isaac sinned again. Just like his father sinned again. God blessed Isaac. What is your life? How much do you need to confess? I hope from the beginning of this sermon series we understand you're not that important. We will confess our sins, but that is not how we get saved.
Isaac continued in the blessings of his father. So here's the blessing part. Number one. The blessing is this. There's a famine in the land. And just like his father, there was a famine for Abraham. And Abraham traveled south, just like his father. The repetition is on purpose. The repetition is so intentional. And there's a famine and he travels away. But the first time Abraham ran down to Egypt and God comes to him and says to Isaac, now don't go down to Egypt like your father did. Go to the land I'll show you. And he goes to Gerar. And guess what? He meets a man that his father met. The man named Abimelech in Gerar, the Philistines. And so he comes to this man and the repetition, of course, continues. The repetition is, I will give you the repetitive blessings. We've been hearing it every chapter in Genesis. It's on purpose. God wants you to hear this over and over again. I will establish an oath I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offsprings, the stars, and the heavens. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and it did all my commandments. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And then here, Isaac continued not only in the blessings of his father, he continued in the sins of his father. And repetition again. Isaac continues in the sins of his father. The men come to him and ask about his wife, and naturally the first word out of his mouth, you know like when you say something and you're like, wow, I really shouldn't say it, and you said it. It's like, I wonder if he had a moment where he was like, she's my sister. Ah, oh, no. And he did it again. Right? He just, like, you think he would have heard, like, about his dad. Grown up, watch his dad just do really foolish things. She's my sister. I'm like, okay. Why? Because he's afraid. Same thing. Same trouble by the same fear as his father. Fear of his own life. Self-preservation. Lying. Lying isn't necessarily always um, sinful. Right? There, there are times in Scripture where God commends lying. Rahab lied to the, for the spies. Right? In the book of Hebrews, she's commended for doing that. Right? But she lied at detriment for her own life and for the glory of God. He is lying to save his own skin. He is lying for a different purpose. Because obviously you can't trust an enemy. I mean, how would anyone be a police officer or military? There are certain points in which it's appropriate. But here, it's purely for self-serving self-comforting fear of men. And this is why he lied, and it's wrong. Now, a long time passed. He's living in this land for a long time. Evidently, the people don't want to kill him. And Abimelech looks through a window, and he sees Isaac laughing with Rebekah. And I'll tell you, the word there for laughing does not mean laughing. It means they were euphemistically enjoying each other. And maybe they laughed, I don't know. Um, but that's what they were doing. So much so that it was pretty clear that that is not his sister. <laughs> and so he comes to him and says, that's your wife. He's like, oh, you caught me. You're right. And so it was. He says he confesses. Yes, that is my wife. Now, what is this you have done? Someone could have fallen into great guilt and sin because of your lie. And then he decrees, whoever touches this man... Or his wife shall surely be put to death. He fears the Lord. Now this is a perfect image of most of our sins. Most of our sins are just awkward. Stupid. Silly. Embarrassing sins. Obviously you have David and he sinned with Bathsheba. And that's a big deal. And adultery and some bad sins in your life. But really the day to day is this. This is us. Just being dumb. And it's an embarrassing sin. It's the messiness of life. 
See, the messiness comes from him learning sins from his parents, from his family, from his friends. What patterns do you have in your life? Well-worn paths. If our mind were a forest and there were paths and trails, there are some that are very worn down. There are patterns of thinking and behaviors and speech that just characterize you and they're not godly. This is the repetition. This is what Genesis is bringing out for us. What paths do you have that you just run that trail constantly over and over again and constantly just sin like this throughout the weeks and the days of our lives? This is Isaac. This is the messiness of life. It's embarrassing. It's difficult. And if people don't uh, point it out to you, you wouldn't see it in yourself half the time. These are the sins that we read here now from Isaac, from a third-party perspective, saying that was foolish. And these are the sins, these are the regular ones throughout the day that accumulate upon our life. That if they come to your mind, immediately turning them to confession to the Lord is immediately removing them. If you have this, a knowledge of some sin, not the ones that you're ignorant of, you can't confess those. But if there are certain sins that we have that we know, oh, I did it again. Oh, I said she was my sister again. Can't believe that. And then you go to the Lord and you say, that was wrong. <laughs> Confession. Homo lugeo is the Greek word for confess. Homo is same. Lugeo is speak. Same speech. God says it's wrong. You echo him. You repeat. That was wrong. And then when you do that, when you do that, the promise is you are clean. If you repeat what God says about the matter... It is gone. The garbage man comes and picks it up and it's out of your house. It's gone. There's no need for you to let that play upon your conscience for one more second. Confess it and it is gone. So here is the regular sins that Isaac is doing. The sins that we do all the time. And right after that, this is the remarkable thing. Verse 12. Promises blessing. Isaac sins. And then Isaac is blessed. So Isaac sowed in the land, and he reaped that same year a hundredfold, during the middle of a famine. The Lord blessed him. It says that he became rich, and he gained more and more, until he became very, very wealthy. He sinned, and he was blessed. And there's no confession here. He's not dealing with this in any way. And so what happens now is the pattern repeats. We just heard Isaac's blessing. And now the Philistines are going to sin against him. And after that, he's going to be blessed even more. Here it is. Isaac is blessed. He receives all this hundredfold produce and wealth. God has Abimelech. Be angry with him and envy him, sin against him. And then what follows is Isaac is blessed even more. So it says that he possessed all these flocks, herds, and servants. And it says the Philistines envied him. And the whole point of envy, envy is, is even worse than stealing. In a sense, because it's, it's the kind of hatred you have for somebody not because you want what they have, but because you don't want them to have what they have. Do you see that? It really is a lot of what drives our culture right now. Envy, resentment, 
was Nietzsche's word for it. You, it's not that you want what they have. You just don't want them to have what they have. So you're in the middle of this area that is under the problem of a famine. And he's so envious that he's blocking up wells. Which generally would be good to have water. Whether Isaac has water or Abimelech has water. It's always good to have an extra well. But so envious that he's actually blocking up all of these wells. So that if, if he gets water. Well then I'd rather have no one have water. We all starve and die. That's the danger of envy. It's very dangerous. And so he, he envies him in such a way that he blocks up all of his wells. And so what that does, it produces sinful frustrations upon all of God's promises that God had given to Isaac. And therefore what results is Isaac struggling. But here's the thing. If it's not Isaac's sin inside of his own heart or Abimelech's sin pressing down upon him, this is the beauty of it. The gospel is that this promise doesn't die. It can't fail. Isaac can't screw it up. Abimelech can't screw it up. It can't get dirty. It can't get messed up. It's like Teflon, like a non-stick. It's just like, it just runs right off. The blessings keep coming. And so in an ancient world, I have a friend who tried to get a well planted in Kenya. And it's hard to get a well in Kenya with modern technology to get people to have clean water. With only so many thousands of dollars, you probably get three shots at it. And if you don't make it on the first two, you better make it on the third. Or your $10,000, $12,000 are wasted. And people don't get water. And that's a modern engineering problem. And here is Isaac. Every time he touches the ground, water comes out of it. And he goes. And he finds that old well and he digs it up. And the herdsmen of Gerar come and they say, this is ours. And Isaac keeps the peace and he says, okay. And he moves along. And then he goes and digs another well. And they say, this is ours. Because they quarrel over it. And he calls it Esek, which means quarrel. And Sitna, which means hostility. So these wells are just symbols of hostility. People are not getting along, envying one another. And then the servants finally dug a third well. And no one fought over it. And he calls it Rehoboth, which means open spaces. Finally, we have enough water for everybody. And this is the theme of the whole story in closing. Here is the beauty of how even when he sins, God gives him crops. When Abimelech sins against him, God gives him wells of water. The promises of God that there will be blessings on the earth. That the sin of men and the sin of women and the sin of children's children to the 30 and 40th generation cannot thwart the promises of God. It will come to pass. That here he finally goes to one final well, the fourth well in Beersheba. And Isaac travels over there and he went up to Beersheba and God promised him one more time, don't be afraid, I'm with you, I will bless you, I will bless you. And Abimelech went up there to meet him. Starts digging for a well and Abimelech comes up and meets him and says, listen, I saw you just made a bunch of wells and you keep getting flocks and produce and, and crops. I don't like you, but God's blessing you. And so even in the midst of Abimelech's sin, not just Isaac's sin messing it all up, Abimelech's sin messing it all up, he has to at the end of the day pause and say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, 
is the God who blesses. The one who comes in the name of Jesus Christ. This blessing just rolls right over all the sin. It's like an accumulating snowball that cannot be stopped. It starts here with Abraham and rolls and rolls from generation to generation. And sin after sin of all these faithless generations. And still the Messiah comes. And still sin is dealt with. And still there is a resurrection after they kill him. They can't stop the blessing. This is the gospel. And it's just as relevant to them as if we stand on the shoulders today. And this blessing rolls to us now. And there's nothing you can do to mess it up. Even if you don't confess your sins, you're blessed. Even if you fail for the 30th time doing that one same sin, you're blessed. You can not fail. It is a nonstick surface. It can't get dirty. None of our sins can touch. They roll right off. And so Abimelech comes, I hate you, but you're blessed. And I have to acknowledge the God, Yahweh. And so, in the midst of God's blessing, what would have been a very hostile situation, two men make a peace. Now, where's the confession in all this? Because here's the two sins. You have Isaac's sin and Abimelech's sin. And this is how it went. Isaac said, um, he said this, uh, particularly no explicit confession. Abimelech comes to him and says, what have you done? You've brought great guilt upon me. And all Isaac says is, I thought you guys wanted to kill me. Right? So Isaac doesn't even pause and say, you were right. I was wrong. I confess. I shouldn't have done this. Doesn't say any of that. Just moves right along. And then when Abimelech comes to him, Isaac says, why have you come to me seeing that you hate me? That would be a good time if you were going to reconcile to say, you know what? It's wrong for me to hate you. It's wrong to be envious. I confess. I'm sorry. No, he doesn't do any of that. He just says, you're blessed. I do hate you, but you're blessed. There's no confession in any of this. It's really just a cluster. It's a mess. But the blessings keep coming. This is the gospel. Do you realize? Do you realize? So in Genesis 21, a few chapters ago, the beauty of bringing this story out is that you see that Abraham met Abimelech just a few chapters ago at Beersheba, and they made a well. And there Abimelech brought seven Yule lambs and said, Here, take these from me. And Abimelech said, What is the meaning of these seven Yule lambs? Beersheba is seven, seven Yule lambs. Why? And Abraham explicitly says, this is a witness, a witness that this well is mine. Take it from me and this well will forever be mine. And Abimelech said, sure. And he did. And then Abraham planted a tree, which would last a long time, as a memorial that this is his well. It would outlast his days. And so he planted a Tamaris tree at that well. This is my well. Don't take this well from me. I made a covenant with you. You took these lambs from me. It's a witness. This is my well. How could we ever save ourselves? Within the first generation, his very next son comes to that well. It's plugged up. It's not his. The covenant, the promise that was made with men means nothing. Our sinfulness, our fickleness, it always destroys the promises. The difference is that there is a different type of promise. There's a promise that's not made between Abraham and Abimelech. There's a promise that's made between God and Abraham. A vertical promise. And that promise is you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. 
So that promise for this well of Beersheba to have the blessings of Beersheba. If it was left to us and our confession and our willingness and our virtue and our righteousness, that promise wouldn't last one generation. There wouldn't be any hope for this to work out. There would be no reason to trust in what Isaiah calls the eternal gospel. But here God has promised Abraham, you will be blessed. And so the very next generation, the well gets undug again. And the blessings of Beersheba continue to flow. In the midst of all of this sin, and all of this sin that isn't cleansed, and all of this sin that isn't confessed. What if, so Abraham planted the tree, and think of this as we close. Abraham planted the tree as a memorial. A memorial to say, this is my well. Don't forget the promise you made with me. What if, what if God were to have a tree planted for every one of our sins? A memorial for all the sins that you and I cannot remember to even confess. All the sins that you and I were not even aware of. What if God had planted a tree like this for every one of them? What if he could fill a whole forest worthy of our sins? How could we confess? Hell would be nothing more than being given an axe and just given the forest of our misconducts for the rest of our life. To try to chop them all down. To try to cleanse ourselves of all of our sins. The reason this blessing cannot fail The reason there is no memorial for all of the sins that you and I forget by yesterday is because there's only one tree that God remembers. There's only one tree that all these promises were pointing to. And Colossians says that we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with him. He canceled all the record of our debt by setting them aside. He nailed it all to the cross. And the blessings have to flow. Let us pray. Dear Father, these are the blessings you've given us, Lord. Isaac was promised to be blessed. Isaac sinned and did not even deal with his sin appropriately. And Isaac was blessed. Father, I pray that you would remind us of this. Father, we confess all of our sins upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But we know, Father, that all of our sins, past, present, and future, This record of debt you have canceled for us by nailing it to this cross. You have set it all aside and we will be blessed. Oh Lord, we thank you for the blessings we have now. The clothes, the food, family, friends, clean air, health. Lord, we thank you for the blessings to come. Eternal life to be at your right hand. Pleasures forevermore. Every tear washed away, new heavens and a new earth, no sickness, death, or cancer, perfect joy, righteousness, and peace, 
that we experience now and ever-increasing measure as you continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit and transform us into the image of your Son, that we in some moment in the twinkling of an eye will be transformed into the glorious of his likeness, of his glorious body. Lord, all these blessings, they will come and will have nothing to do with us and everything to do with your Son. Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you. We look to you. We praise you and honor you.